Greetings, adventure. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm Shiloh. And I'm Gabriel, and this week is episode 60, our Pathfinder 2nd Edition breakdown. Hey, you guys. How's it going? We're doing... We're talking about Pathfinder 2nd Edition today. What it is, what we like, what we don't like, if you should play it, if you like it, how similar it is to D&D 5th Edition, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and of course... You want to be up to date on all the different RPGs. You also want to be up to date on our podcast and all the things that are happening. If you do, because nice. you know you want to be up to date, just like everyone else is, go follow us on Instagram at d20 underscore academy. You can message us there to get into our Discord, or you can converse with us directly. And we also have a YouTube up under the name D20 Academy. If you prefer to listen to us on there, we've got all of our episodes up there for you guys to listen to. All right, let's jump into it. Yo. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Um. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to us talking about Pathfinder Second Edition. Mm-hmm. And you might notice this isn't D and D. It's weird, right? What? What? Not D and D? But D&D is the only role-playing game. That's what I thought. I'm sure of it. No, idiot. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> hey, guys. So, Pathfinder. Um, it's a game. You've probably heard of it. You might have heard of it. Maybe. Maybe not. It's uh, uh, it's in, like, the top five most popular role-playing games, I think. Don't know if I'd say it's a number two. Don't know what I would say number two is. But, um... If it's called you Cthulhu, know, I'm gonna cry. It, <laughs> we're not talking about Call of Cthulhu yet, okay? That's another episode. That's later this month. Actually, I don't know if it's later this month. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, is it? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, that's later this month. Um, <laughs> hey, no, guys, we're talking about Pathfinder, second edition. Um, A bit of the history yeah, of Pathfinder. So, it branched yeah. off from 3.5, right? I don't know. You know more about this yeah. than I do. So I'm pretty sure Pathfinder was Pathfinder First Edition was originally like some like house rules and some like, community made like rules that people made for 3.5 for D and D 3.5, and it became really popular among the community. It formed its own community, and it added like more rules, more modules, and stuff. For their specific rules for 3.5e. And then they released a second edition. And that's what we're talking yep. about now. And this came out, what, last year? I can't keep track of time. I think so. It'll be last year, last decade. Yep, last century. I think mm-hmm. it's sometime in the last century. Yep. This came out somewhat recently. Not like last week, but... Last year, maybe a little over that, not completely sure. The thing is, though, they've been releasing the books, like, the core books, periodically. So, actually, you know, you, they didn't release, like, a big bunch of books. They just released the core rulebook, and then they've been dropping other stuff. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, right now, we have the core rulebook, which is so large. Um sitting pretty at 642 pages yep it's like two and a half times as big as the player's handbook for fifth edition 
And uh, they released a bestiary, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like the same size as the monster manual, <laughs> maybe a little bigger. Uh, and the game master's guide. Just recently, they released a game mastery guide, which holy crap, they should have released way earlier. But we're not going to get into. Well, we are going to get into it, but not right now. <laughs> and they also have a world guide for their for the Pathfinder world called Galarian. Or something. Yeah. Galarian. Galarian. Something like that. Or maybe Galarian's just the continent. Yeah. I'm not totally sure. And to be honest, I don't really care. Galarian. Anyway, so they released a world guide to Galarian. Okay, that's the whole world. Yeah. But it's called the Lost Omens world guide, not the Galarian world guide. So just. And then they have because well, it's only talking about guide. specific parts of the world. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, then anyway. they have an advanced player's guide. So the advanced player's guide is um like a like kind of like a Xanathar's. They detail some some deeper th- rules and things, and they add some new like subclasses and stuff like that, um, or you know, kind of the equivalent to that. Um, but also, it's like a ton of alternative rules and a ton of new like spells and feats and stuff like that. Yes. So much for players. It's literally so much. an insane yeah. amount. So, what is Pathfinder really? Well, it uses the D20 system, same as 5th edition. Oh, same as D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, well, D&D hasn't always used it. Anyway, 5th edition. <laughs> um, D20 system. It's very similar to, to D&D. If you're, if you're familiar with 5th edition, which 99% of you listening to this are, um, Pathfinder, very similar. Yeah. Um, D20 system, you have your six ability scores, strength, dex, I'm about to say agility, dex, <laughs> con, whiz, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. You have, you know, a race, a class, um, a, you, there's 20 levels, very similar. Yeah. In, in all the main, like, conceptual mechanic pieces. However... Mm-hmm. Pathfinder is notoriously insanely more complex. Um, just, just way more complex. Um, and we're going to get into if it's too complex for you at the end of the episode. Um, if, what if are we going to do? Can I IQ kind of... test? Yep. <laughs> uh, no, but we're going to talk about if this, is, if this is a good game for you at the end. But just know it's like a very... Second edition is like a complex, more detailed... More intricate, more customizable version of fifth edition. Essentially, that's a good comparison, I think. Yeah, um, and we have like not really played it uh, at all. We have a little bit, a bit, but barely. And we're getting back into it with at yes. least one campaign about to start. But well, not uh, not a campaign per se. Sure, sure, but, sure. You know, a couple sessions at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Actually, tomorrow, we're going to play a game. We, You know, if we were smart, we would have recorded this after we played it a bit more. But hey, we have played it a little bit. I've seen some people play it. Um, and I've read through the, the books a lot. Um, me and Gabe both have. So mm-hmm. we're very familiar with the system, just not totally in practice. <laughs> um, but not a lot of people have played it because it is fairly new. And it's a little more niche. Actually, it's way more niche than 5th edition. Um, yeah, so, uh, let's, let's talk about how it works. 
Gabe, how does it work? All right, so you roll a d20, you add stuff to it, maybe subtract some stuff from it, and you see if it beats what you're trying to beat. There we go. Yep. That's how the game works. Um, oh, one thing. Changes it. Uh, here's some different differences in 5th edition. 5th edition does not like floating modifiers, okay, for the most part. They don't want little bonuses, little minuses to your rolls, a lot of complex things adding together and affecting each other. Instead, they scrapped all of that and went with advantage and disadvantage. Love it. Love it. Fine. Works for 5th edition. Great. Pathfinder wants to be that detail. So, they have all kinds of floating modifiers. Um, so that's a big difference. A um, lot of different things affecting other things and little bonuses. Um, yeah. They have, instead of a proficiency bonus that just eventually changes every, like, five or so levels, um, you have four different levels of proficiency. So, trained, or untrained, I guess, five. So five. Totally. Untrained, trained, expert, master, and legendary. And each of these proficiency levels is a number plus your level. So trained is two plus your level, expert is four plus your level, then six, the master is six plus your level, and legendary is eight plus your level. And untrained is nothing. So just like, uh, just from that, you can already tell, listening, that the numbers in Pathfinder are really high. Yeah, talk about that real quick. <laughs> yeah, so the numbers on everything get really high. Because even at, at first level, okay, my proficiency bonus is what if I'm training it? It's three, you know? But at, like, 10th level, when you're trained in something, it's 12. <laughs> yeah. Big difference. You know? It's a big difference. a proficiency bonus of plus 2 to plus 4 as it is in D&D. And, okay, not everything is big. Like, damage is itself doesn't necessarily get as big as yeah, but at least other numbers. For but the like, D20 rolls. Hit, like, your attack modifier. Yeah. Your, you know, your spell save DC. Your... Um, saving throws, exactly. These all get to really high numbers because of how efficiency yep. works. Armor class at high levels is like 30-something or whatever. Like, it gets crazy. Um, and also, things you're proficient in and things you're not proficient in, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very, very big difference there. Um, so, does and you're asking, hey... So that means that every single time I level up, I have to change every single one of my skills because they all get a plus one um, because I just got a level. Actually, every single thing I'm proficient in, so all my weapons, my armor, my saving throws, my magic, all my skills. And the answer is yes, you do. You have to add a plus one to everything that you're proficient in every single time you level up. Um, so just play on roll 20 and just do it all digitally so you don't ruin your paper. Um, oh, speaking of paper, here's another uh, kind of signal to you that's a little more complex. The character sheets are four pages long. <laughs> that's true. So These character sheets are packed. Packed. Um, now, D&D, also technically they're three pages long. Sure. Um, because there is the, like, the main sheet and then like the character description sheet and then the spell sheet if you're a spellcaster. In this one, there's the main character sheet. And then just where you f put all your feats and your equipment. Which we'll get into we later. Like, yeah, then you put like all your actions and a little bit of character descriptor as well. There's a little section as that. And then a, and then a spell sheet as well. Mm. 
So, four pages to keep track of. Real fun, that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it's more complex. Gabe, what, what do you think makes it more complex or more detailed? Everything, to be honest. Well, okay. Start off with how, like, it's intentionally more complex and detailed. Yeah. And so it's not like it's like, oh, it happened to be this way. No, it's it's made to be this way. And they made it so that there is a little bit more bookkeeping. It's not like there's an insane amount, necessarily. There's more floating modifiers, more things. But that enables you to do like things like, oh, I cast a spell that gives me this like little floating modifier for this kind of check or attack or something. So it is more complex because they wanted to give the players more options and more things that they can affect. If that makes sense. I mean, yeah, not just play, yeah, yeah, play, yeah, players as in everyone at the table, including the DM. Um, yes, including the DM. Just, sure. Yeah, yeah, ev- everyone just more options, more detail, and they have rules on like everything. So, like in D anD D, if you want to climb something you just make an athletics check and you make an athletics check for any kind of athletic maneuver you do but in pathfinder there are certain actions for like every single thing if you want to slide if you want to jump if you want to do a flip if you want to climb something if you want to swim there's rules and stuff for every single one of these not every single but essentially um so more detailed more book referencing but this i it doesn't, I mean, it bogs it down, I guess, in a way, but it depends on what you want your game to be like. Because for some of you, you like, that might sound horrible to you. You're like, that's going to slow down my game. That's pointless. But for other people, they're like, I want to have all these specific rules. I want my game to be authentic. I want it to be detailed. I want to be able to use all these little detailed rules and stuff to maximize my potential as a character or in combat, use, you know, use tactics whatever uh, be strategical all that kind of stuff um mm-hmm. like if okay so, i want to have a thing where there's a specific rule for adverting my gaze from something some sort of visual ability like a medusa mm-hmm. or what exactly happens when i roll to make sure that, that i catch on to the edge when i'm falling off a cliff right for some examples there yeah just it's it's just more more detailed basically um so for different things and so it depends on the kind of game that you want um and what your play group wants yes for example we want to start trying out pathfinder because our gaming group has been playing D for years we are all very proficient in fifth edition we like never need to look up rules barely ever we know how it works we can play it very smoothly we know all the rules know all the mechanics Know all the classes, all that kind of stuff. So our gaming group, we can play 5th edition, like, fine. Because we've been playing it for years. And, now, because we're so familiar with it, sometimes 5th edition can get a little boring, repetitive. And so, Pathfinder is, you know, giving us something that is more detailed. It's same system, same concepts, but more detailed, more customizable um and which, and all that kind of stuff let's which, get yeah, into which, that which now. let's get yeah. into player uh, player characters creation character advancement yeah all right 
So, you know how there's that option rule that a lot of people use in D&D 5th edition where you can take a feat instead of a ability score increase? Now, take that idea of feat out of your mind, because in Pathfinder, everything's feats. Yeah. Pretty much everything is feats. There are, uh, like, racial feats. There are heritage feats, which is like your sub-race. There are class feats. There are general feats. There are skill feats. There's a lot of feats. Lots of feats. And it's amazing, and we'll get into that later, about the things we like. But basically, when you choose your character, choose your class, choose your race, and at first level, you choose some feats. Next time you level up, you choose some more feats. Next time you level up, you choose some more feats, some different feats. And it has it clearly laid out in your class table, what level you take, what kind of feat. And these yeah. feats range from, okay, I get better at convincing people of something, to, oh, this is one of my class features that I take at this level. Yeah, okay. So, imagine this. You know how awesome it is in D&D when you level up and you get a new thing? Maybe you get a new feature. Maybe you get access to new, more spells. And you know how fun that is? Okay, now imagine every single time you level up, you get like seven different options. Not actually, not always that much. Like five different options of features you can get. And another set <laughs> for something different. So like, okay, you level up. Now choose another class feat from these five different options. Or any option from a past level. <laughs> okay, and choose a skill feat at this level as well from any number of these skill feats. And it's just like so customizable. Is it overwhelming and are there many options? Yes. Once again, this isn't for everybody. But there's so many options and it's so customizable. You in can D &D, make like anything if you want barbarian, to. Yeah, in D&D &D for role-playing Barbarian, we can choose different subclasses, maybe get some different weapons, have a couple different playstyles, but essentially we're all the same. In Pathfinder, we're playing Barbarian, we can play quite different characters. Different mechanical strengths and weaknesses, and all that kind of stuff. Because it's just, it's, it's, very, it's very customizable. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. It's my favorite part about the game. I think it's what draws a lot of people to the system. Yeah, it's because you can customize creation. as much as you want. Character creation is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I just realized yeah, we very, completely it, skipped yeah. over the <laughs> action economy. No, 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 we're gonna talk about that. All right, all right. Don't you, don't you worry. Um, yeah. So, so creating a character, a lot of fun. Once again, complex. A lot of options. A lot of things to choose from. But uh, real fun. We've all created a couple characters. Um, and leveling up. Real fun. Um, real fun. Lots of stuff to do. Yep. However, I, I will say that uh, subclasses are like really, 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 really small and minimized in this game. Um, it's like you choose your subclass at first level. It gives you a little feature just at first level when you choose it. And that's it. Um, instead, your subclass is really, like, really not important that too much. Instead, subclasses are kind of, in a way, done in these things called archetypes. Gabe, can you explain those? 
Yes. So, in like the class uh, like section, like if you're looking at like the barbarian, and you're going through looking at the feats you can take at this certain levels. Okay. Okay. Like, here's the character like, archetype here. Uh, we're talking about different archetypes. I'm dumb. You know. Sometimes I just don't. I don't think. Wait. What? Archetype's the wrong word. Um. <laughs> so anyway. Confused. It will give you examples of builds. Like, if you're looking at the Barbarian, like, okay, what about this one? Who's, like, they're called, like, oh, Marauder. Take these feats at these levels. And... Wait, what? See, we're talking about different oh. things, is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm yes. a little lost, but sure, keep going. It'll give you examples of how you can make your Barbarian like this, by taking these feats. Oh, so it can yes, kind of make you like yes. you have a subclass. But essentially you're just following a guide to make a build. Yes. Like you play like this thing. So it's kind of like giving you an idea of what a subclass would be like. Yeah, that's cool. However, let's However, not get confused. Let's just call <laughs> yeah, let's not get confused. Let's just call those examples. Yeah, that's cool. Examples. For each class, there's like three little sidebars that give you an example if you want to kind of play this kind of character at first level. Here's what you build. Here are the skills you choose and stuff. Yes, very neat. Um, sorry, I meant archetypes, 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 as in, yes, the archetype system. Which is different, and we're gonna get into that now, because I was completely out of it. Alright, archetypes. Archetypes are cool. Archetypes is, like, a better way of sub- of multi-classing. And, and, and subclassing. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yes, that, that's true. With the Advanced Player's Guide release. Yeah. Archetypes. Um, how do you describe them? They give you the option to take feats from other classes and from these different archetypes that allow you to branch out or specialize okay. your character. Yeah. So imagine them as, as mini classes. So at a, certain levels, second, fourth, stuff like that. Instead of taking a feat from your own class, you can take you can branch down into a little mini class and, and take some of the feats from that little mini class. Um, and this is also how you multi-class. So the character that I made, he's a rogue, but I archetype. I took the ar the cleric archetype. So I, I multi-class a little bit into cleric. So at some of the levels where I can take a rogue feat, I instead have taken a cleric feat. Well, no, that's not exactly true. But a feat from this little cleric archetype, mm -hmm. this little mini class. Um, and I'm sure so this all sounds really confusing without the rulebook in front of you. Yes. And it's, so so that's it's a little can... bit confusing with the rulebook in front of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's really it, great. Yeah, it's a, okay. Yeah, just, it's just like a little mini class that you can take feats from. You can choose to take feats from that. And that's kind of how you multi-class. But there's also, with the Advanced Player's Guide, not just multi-class options there's also just a ton of other little mini classes like pirates and that's the only one i can think of right now i'm going to the apg pirates and assassins and whatever little other little mini classes little focuses that anyone can take some levels in mm. all right so yes in addition to the other classes you can take some things like their feats, 
like their uh, features, they released 42 new ones with the Advanced Player's Guide. And these range from, as you were saying, pirate to, say, like, um, a celebrity, a cavalier, a bounty hunter, a beast master, yeah. an assassin, yeah. an archaeologist, you know, all sorts of different things that you can choose to take and specialize your character in, you know? Or it makes you different from just a normal rogue. You're now an archaeologist, too. Yeah. Once again, customization. Um, just really cool. Really cool. Really cool. Uh, it's it's just it's just neat. That's just that's the truth of it. Lots of customization. You can just make any kind of character you want, really, and that's just really cool. Um, okay, uh, keeping on character creation, let's go over the ancestries real quick. So obviously, at first level, you choose a, an ancestry, which is just a race. Um, now, a little bit of a bummer. They don't like have a lot in the core rulebook, not as much as in D and D. They only that's have what... human, elf, dwarf, gnome, halfling. And goblin, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. That's only six ancestries or six races. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, were you gonna say something? No, no, no. Yeah, I was just counting um, them yeah. as well. So only six ancestries, so not a lot of options. However, now we're getting a little crazy. Once you choose your ancestry, you get some basic stuff, right? Boosts to a certain ability scores. Like, if you're a dwarf, you know, constitution. If you're an elf, mm. dexterity, that kind of stuff. A little racial feat. Um, yep, and you, get, feet, and you get to choose a heritage, which is like a sub-race. Yeah, so just like you can so choose a hill dwarf in 5th edition. Yes. You can choose, yep. say, a something dwarf. Can't remember the dwarf heritage. Yeah, there's a couple different heritages. <laughs> except that the heritages in this, like, are very minor. Uh, whatever you choose, the, the feature you get from them are, like, really, really minor. Um, okay, and then you also get to choose feats, like, every five or so levels. Yes. So, at first level, you have an option of racial or ancestral feats. So, if you're an elf, and you, you know, you become an elf, right, when you create your character at your first level, you have the these options of different feats to take. Um... Just increasing your speed, or making you know, all, getting a cantrip or whatever it is, um, mm. and then a fifth level. There's a couple more options that you can choose, nine level stuff like that. Um, once again, just more options, <laughs> more mm. things you get to choose from to make your character more specific. And pretty much all of these, they're all meant to um, put into the like, show in the game, like things that have shaped you as like you were like raised. Or some of them are just like physical things that you have because you're a dwarf or because you're whatever race you choose. A lot of these feats fit really well with like, okay, I learned this because of my background where I was, you know, raised as a dwarf, you know? Like, and they're not just like powers, you know? They're meant to fit the race, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yep, oh, okay, also, there are, and with the Advanced Player's Guide added, the Ten. heritages are really cool. Oh, sorry. So, if you're human, your heritage, like your sub-race, you can choose, like, skilled or versatile, um, but then you can also choose half-elf or half-orc. 
which gives you the ability to, if you take that heritage, now you can take, whenever you take a racial feat, instead of choosing a human feat, you can also choose one from the elf or the orc. Um, which is really cool. Yes, and then with the Advanced Players Guide, they added 10 new ancestries and a bunch of new heritages. And Wait, some of them... 10 new ancestries? Yeah, 10 new an ancestries. Oh, dang. But, like, explain the cool, like, tiefling and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the way that, like, tieflings and asimars work in this world, and in the system, is that they're called versatile heritages, which means that any of the ancestries can take them. That makes sense. It means like you can become a dwarf tiefling. And this might be a little bit weird coming from 5th edition, where a tiefling is its own separate race. But in here, it's something that like you're touched by the nine hells, you know? And it doesn't matter what race you are, it still can be your heritage. And I really like yeah. that. It allows you to like, I really like that as well. Mix things up a little bit more, you know? You know, yep. you can be a... I think that's really cool. Elven Asimar, Human Asimar, a Dwarven Asimar. Anything. Yeah. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, it's really cool. <clears throat> okay, is that all we have to say about this? Uh, oh, real quick, classes. Oh, you also like choose a background, which is a little oh, yeah. more helpful, a little more uh, important than in D&D, &D, but not too much so. Um... Also, your classes, there are, the classes are, do you have them in front of you? What are the classes? Yeah, classes are, um, I'm almost there, almost there, almost there, almost oh, there. Alchemist, Barbarian, Bard, Champion, Cleric, Druid, Fighter, Monk, Ranger, Rogue, Sorcerer, Wizard. Mm-hmm. So, very similar to 5th edition, except we lose the Warlock. And we pick up the alchemist, and the paladin becomes the champion. Right? Yep. Pretty sure those are the only differences. And, and these classes, all very similar to uh, their their counterparts in D and D, when it comes yep. to like the concept and theme and stuff. Exactly. Um, just once again, a little more complex, more customizable. Instead of just leveling up and just getting the next feature, you get a, an array of options to choose from. Alright, moving on. The monster encounter system is way simpler than D&D 5th edition. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not get into jamming yet. Oh, okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Let's talk about equipment real quick, because that's just, like, the next chapter. Oh, okay, okay, So, okay. in equipment, their <laughs> weapons have... Oh, also, shields are, like, a big thing in, in Pathfinder. Raising a shield, you track your shield's health when you can use it to reduce damage. You you have to use an action on your turn, which we're going to get into, to raise your shield, to block attacks, to increase your AC and stuff. Just a little more... Just more complexity to shields. And making them more realistic, like if you want to raise it or if you want to use it to block, all that kind of stuff, um, by the way. But weapons and stuff in general, so many traits. Yeah, weapons in this game, you know how like, oh, like, 
this weapon is so similar to this weapon in D&D 5th edition. Like, and she's like, oh, I just changed the dice size. You know, or I changed, or now it's 2d6 instead of 1d10. And here, every weapon is unique. Yeah. Every single weapon has its own array of weapon traits that change how you play with the weapon. The change and your play style. Yeah. There are a lot of weapons. A lot. A lot. And a lot of traits. Each weapon has the price, the damage, how much it weighs, which will all... Oh yeah, we'll get into that in a second because we're talking about equipment, which is just so much better. How many hands it takes to attack with, and its traits. So some you will recognize. Finesse, which means you can use dex instead of strength. Mm -hmm. um, throne. Right, you can now throw it. Um, uh, reach. Um, a couple of the word terms uh, like versatile, instead of meaning if you use it with two hands, you deal uh, different damage dice. It means that versatile, you can change the damage type. So, for example, with a as uh, a long sword, you can either right. slash with it or you can pierce with it. You can stab with it. Yep, which is really cool. Once again, a little more detail, and then. There's a ton of other stuff. Disarm. Okay, so there's a couple, like, action ones which uh, give you the ability to take actions with them. Like mm -hmm. disarm, sweep, trip, shove. shove. That kind of stuff. It when you, That means that when you're wielding <laughs> this weapon, when you're wielding this weapon, you have access to be able to do those things. You know, trip them, disarm them, whatever. And which then some just have other... More options to Sorry. do in combat, by the way. Yep. In addition to all the other uh, stuff. And then... Some just have other uh, traits like agile or deadly or backstabber. Um, just if you if you can tell, <laughs> so much, so much traits and so much weapons. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, um, I love it. So every single weapon is different. You can have a bunch of weapons that all deal one d ten damage, but they can be so different. With all because of all their different traits and how much hands they take up and how much they weigh. Let's talk about bulk. Bulk is a lot simpler. You know, I don't know what went through Wizard's mind when they were like, ah, let's do pounds. <laughs> They're gonna love that. Love tracking the <laughs> individual pounds and stuff. No. <laughs> with equipment in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, it gives you a number of bulk. So it either has, like, oh, it's like bulk one, or if it's super, super light, it'll just give you an L, so you lose the game. Um, <laughs> no. If it's super light, it says L, and if you have ten of those, then it equals one bulk. It's really simple. Yeah. So an, an axe is, like, two bulk, oh, okay. a short sword is, like, one bulk. Um, and then all the small things, arrows, all that kind of stuff... It just says L for light, and 10 of those equals one ball. And then you just have your encumbrance, which is based off of, like, 5 plus your strength. And then you can become encumbered when you have an amount over that. And then, of course, you can only hold an amount equal to, like, your total encumbrance value, which is, like, 10 plus your strength. Something like that. Yeah. Okay? Now, most tabletop RPGs have a system similar to this. <laughs> a very basic bulk system. Each You just assign a weapon, like, a number from, like, 1 to 5, or, like, you know, an item. A number from, like, 1 to 5, depending on how big it is or how much it weighs. Um, and then you probably have some kind of system to deal with really, really light items. And then you just have a bulk number, which is a, s a small number, probably has to do with your strength, your con, or something like that. Um, 
the Star Wars role-playing game we play, Edge of the Empire, has a similar bulk system. Um, but for some reason, did we talk about this in our 5th edition rant? I don't know. D&D 5th edition uses pounds. And it's like... You're the game that's supposed to be simple. You're the one who's supposed to be simple and streamlined and not complex and not detailed. That's the point of view, 5th edition. And and they do pounds. <sighs> and nobody tracks that. Nobody tracks that. Okay? No one wants to track uh, pounds. It's just, it's, it's just, not worth it. Uh, it's just... I, that's really irritating to me. Now, <laughs> some people don't care about encumbrance at all in their games. I like it. I like having encumbrance in games. Uh, uh, definitely as uh, for both the DM as a player. As a DM, I don't like it when my players can just carry around 7,000 pieces of gold, two axes, you know, crazy stuff like that. Like in Skyrim or in Witcher, where you're walking around with three outfits, seven swords, a club, two bows. <laughs> Um, and first of all, you can't see any of that on your character, and then also you can just hold all that somehow. Um, once again, we'll suspend some disbelief in video games and in and in tabletop RPGs of how much you can hold, really. But I like as a DM, I, I like I want them that to be a challenge for them on how they can hold things, how they're going to carry things, well, how they what they have to be smart with. As a player, I like that challenge. Don't care too much, but I like it. Um, and. In D&D 5th Edition, it, the system is so complex and stupid and such a waste of time that you're not tracking your encumbrance. And so then you don't, it's not even a part of the game. But <laughs> with Pathfinder, if you want it to be a part of your game, which you should, um, yeah. Because, I mean, you're tracking a, a gazillion other detailed things, so might as well um, in Pathfinder. Uh, the bulk system is really nice and simple and 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 just, just nice. <laughs> yeah. It's just nice. It's just nice. Uh, let's talk about spellcasting real quick, because that's next on the docket. Spellcasting. It's a little bit different from 5th edition, but not too much. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Spell slots work pretty much the same, except they go from 1 to 10 instead of 1 to 9. They're 10th level spells. Um... There are the different magical schools, but there's four different magical types. You know, there's divine, yes. arcane, primal, which is what like druids and use, and occult, which is what like bards yeah. use. So, instead of having a class spell list, depending on what kind of magic your class uses, you can just choose from that spell list. Yes. Which is a nice way to do it for the future, if you ever want to add classes. You just give them the magic type instead of having to make a class spell list for every single class. Mm -hmm. Much simpler that way. I like it. And spellcasting, other than that, works a lot the same with a couple differences. When you prepare spells, you prepare them at the level that you want to cast. Nobody at that level. So you can prepare a fireball at third level. You can't upcast it to fifth level necessarily unless you prepare it oh way. right i forgot about that which yeah keep that uh, in mind 
Yeah, so prepared casters and spontaneous casters are actually kind of balanced in Pathfinder. Um, because in spontaneous, you can cast them at any level you want, but yeah. you only know that, that limited amount. Whereas prepared, you can obviously prepare any of the spells, but you have to prepare them at that specific uh, level. Exactly. Uh, which is... Other than that, balanced. works pretty much as you would expect it to, except for some things where you can, like... You can crit on attacks. You can uh, fail if they, like real if enemies like really fail against some of your spells and you take like extra damage. Yeah, there's an, a little, these little like rules about like criticals and stuff. But those are not super important. Uh, but we don't really need to talk about them. At least they are important yeah, actually in the game. But they are important in the really game, but not necessarily for yeah. this podcast. Um, okay, and, and something else to say about spells. They're bad. <laughs> okay. Um, no. Once again, we have not really played a lot. Yeah, we've only played like a couple, handful of sessions. From, from looking at it, and from what we have played, just first level characters, spellcasters are not good. <laughs> they're they're not. Um, I I still think they get a lot better. They might, and even in D and D, at their once again at first level, spellcasters are not that strong. Unless you're a cleric. Right, but so right, that's fine. The spell, I guess spellcasters don't have to be as strong as martial classes in the in the early levels, which is the only things we've played. But it's not to me. They appear even weaker than uh, in D and D, though. So let's just say, for the sake of this. That a fighter in Pathfinder is at the same power level as a fighter from D&D. A wizard in Pathfinder... Same amount of, like, spell slots, essentially, as a wizard in D&D, but, like, cantrips, less damage. So, <laughs> just generally weaker, it appears like, at least to me, it appears like they're weak, like, pretty, pretty weak. Man, no. But, also... That's a discussion for another day when we know more yeah. about the game and have when played more, more other than just like yeah. at first and second level. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but that's a little bit of a bummer from what I've seen. Like, no one on a playgroup wants to play a spellcaster because they don't look good and they don't seem good from our experience. Um, also, martial classes are just so fun in all their different little feats and stuff. They're just really, really cool. And I like that because martial classes in D&D can get kind of boring and repetitive after you play them a lot. Um, but in this one, martial classes are, are really a joy. Really you have so many things joy. that you can do. It's really nice. Yeah, just, oh god, it's just such a joy for, like, fighters to be, like, really fun and customizable. Okay, um, yes, yes, uh, we don't really need to talk about the world, whatever world you can read about, all about it in the world guide or whatever, and they have <laughs> a little section in, um, in the, the core rule book. Let's talk about GMing. Uh, an action and okay, so there <laughs> there's are three so many things to go over. There are three different modes, right? Yes, there's encounter, adventure, and roleplay. Exploration, I think. Exploration, sorry, adventure. not adventure. Exploration, yeah. you're right. And downtime. Yes. Did you say roleplay? I did. <laughs> uh, okay, that's fine. I so just woke up. So your game, give me a break. Your <laughs> your game shifts between three different modes: encounter mode, exploration mode, and downtime mode. 
Encounter mode, obviously, when you're in an encounter, so then it becomes turn-based, there's initiative, you know how that works. Exploration mode is when you're walking around, exploring, role-playing, stuff like that, you know. And then downtime mode is when you do, like, time skips, and then, like, you can, your character can, like, do something during that time. You can, like, you know, build things, repair things, work somewhere, study something. So it's, not, it's like, kind of not going to come up in your game too often, probably. Well, but anytime depends. you do a time time skip, that depends. It depends. Totally depends. But anytime you do a time skip, you you can choose what you want to do as a character during that time skip. If you want to work as a bartender, if you want to study something or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of just giving names and rules to modes that already exist, but that just haven't been given a structure. And I re- I really like that. I there's rules. And for I like it a lot. Like how much money you earn as you're like working downtime, or how will you improve at a skill. And such. Yep. I like it. It's good. I like it too. I think it's there for a good reason. Okay, let's talk about encounter mode. Very similar. You roll initiative, except this time it's based on perception. Um, and then you have your turn. And boy, oh boy, is combat just. Mwah! 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 Now, not only already in combat, you have a gazillion options to do, right? Because of all your different features and feats and weapons and all that kind of juicy stuff. And each of your weapons can do like three different things. Now. Action economy, baby. Yeah. Gabe, explain it. Now, you know how in D&D 5th edition you're coming from that? You have your action economy, you're thinking like, okay, I have my action on my turn. got my movement. Maybe a bonus action. Very rarely a free action. Mostly to dismiss things. And then a reaction. That I typically don't take in my turn. In Pathfinder, you have all those other things, you know, your reaction, free action sometimes. In addition to that, you have three actions on your turn. You have three actions that you can spend doing a bajillion different things. You know, you can attack with one action. (laughs) Sometimes you gain options to attack with two actions, which is a stronger attack. But requires more of investment and you can do less things on your turn. You also use these actions to move, to crawl, to roll behind cover, to try and convince an enemy to stop fighting you. You can use these actions, there's three of them, you can choose what to do with each one of them on your turn, and so nice. It's so nice. Um... Yep, it's just you have three actions, and you can choose how, how you want to spend them. Most things take one action, though some take two or three. Um, uh, you can get uh, options to new actions based on, like, class feats and stuff you take. Also really cool. Um, so you're not just restricted to the basic actions, which is, like, move and attack and stuff that Gabe was saying. Um, and something that's really, really nice and so cool and such a great use of this new action economy system is spell casting. Some spells get better the more actions you use to cast them. Which so is basic such example, a cool there's a idea. Heal, there's a spell, spell called heal, first level spell. If you use one action, it has a range of touch, only heals X amount. If you use two actions to cast it though, now it has a range of 30 feet and it heals a little bit more. If you invest your whole turn, all three actions into casting this spell, Range massively increases, plus more healing. So, 
This means just that the, the amount of tacticalness and stuff that this opens up is just amazing. Because as a spellcaster, you're like, okay, I want to move here. Or and I also want to attack and I also want to cast a spell. But like you have to choose which ones you're gonna want you wanna do and how much actions you want to invest into casting this spell. And if you act if it's really worth it to move there, or if it's really worth it to take cover, or whatever. It's just so cool. So cool. Just makes it so tactical, strategical, makes your turn very, very interesting, um, this uh, action economy. Um, and and also it shouldn't really slow yeah. down your like pace of play. If your no, characters are doing it there, if your players are doing what they should be doing and planning things out before they get to their turn. Yep. Um, exactly. Um, also, you can use all three actions to attack. Like, you can keep attacking, but for every attack after the first, you keep adding on uh, uh, um, a. What is it called? A deba? A, a minus. You minus. <laughs> um. You get a negative modifier mm -hmm. on additional attack. So it gets harder not to attack. Keep on attacking in your turn. Which means that, yeah, you can attack multiple times, but you may not hit the other ones. Instead, maybe you want to use your weapon to trip them. Or maybe you want to move, or maybe you want to raise your shield, or whatever yes. it is. So it encourages <clears throat> you to mix things up. Yep. Um, just amazing. Um, <laughs> I would say the only thing that we found is it's, a, it's hard, uh, I think, for a DM to get used to this. Um, because now as a DM... Every single character you're running has three actions, and it's it's a little it's a little complex and stuff because it's harder way harder to do this with more multiple characters than just one, and to be super tactical in that way. But I think once you get in the hang of it, I think it's gonna make combat really really cool. Um, definitely when you're like if all your monsters, all the monsters you're fighting against have three actions and they're all doing interesting things with their actions, like it just opens up such beautiful. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's mwah, mwah, beautiful. Chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> uh, my one. Little itty bitty irritation. Um, so you also get one reaction, right? That you can take uh, on another person's turn if it gets triggered. Opportunity attack is not automatic. That's a feat you have to take or you have to have. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like that. I think everyone should just always have opportunity attack. Um, just me. But, uh, yeah, that's a little irri irritating thing for me. Once again, maybe it works, because combat obviously is going to be different because it's a different game than 5th edition. However, I found that uh, I really like opportunity attacks, and I even implemented it into our Star Wars game because I just think it just... It makes, you know, your positioning and all that stuff a lot really important. Um, anywho, that's very minor. I mean, not super minor, but anyway. <laughs> let's talk about uh, building encounters and stuff. Let's just let's jump into GMing. So you want to talk some, some, some about that a little bit? Uh, first, we kind of skipped over one thing, which is degrees mm. of success. What do you think? We what do you talk mean? about? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? How critical success and crit critical failures work in this? Oh, sure. I thought we said that we didn't need to explain that, but sure. Oh, essentially, you crit if you have ten over like the AC, a ten over the DC or whatever that you're trying to meet and critical failure if you're 10 below so you can crit and Critical failure more often Yes, but I mean bada boom, and whatever. a lot of things have, Yeah, a lot of things have different effects depending on if it's a critical size a success a failure or a critical failure mm -hmm. um, 
So that's that's cool. Once again, a little more detail and, and stuff like that. Okay, game mastering. Now we get to game mastering. <laughs> uh, we can start off by talking about how much better the game mastery guide is. <laughs> Just like world right, do better. You, do, do you want me to get started on this? Do you want me not to, too much, to not too much. Off? I'm saying like, if you're interested in GMing it, you have a good resource. You have a very good resource in the game mastery guide. That actually teaches you important stuff. You guys. And it's nice. You guys. I don't know if you listened to our 5th edition rant. If you didn't, go. It's awesome. Great episode. But, listen to me. I hate the Dungeon Master's Guide for D&D 5th edition. You can hear all about how and why in that episode. When me and Gabe looked through this, this new Game Mastery Guide for Pathfinder the other day, I cried. I wept, actually. Uh, Sobs. <laughs> no. But it is exactly what a Game Mastery Guide should be. What a Dungeon Master's Guide should be. It is exactly what it should be. I mean, it does not open up with a description of every single plane in the multiverse and how to build a world. And then get into a little bit of thing about alternate rules and then get into magic items. No. It starts with saying, here's how to run the game. Here's tips on running encounters, running exploration. Here's tips on educating the rules. Nope, that's not the right word. Educating the rules. On, on telling a story, on making good adventures, on structuring out a campaign, on designing encounters, which by the way, the uh, way to design encounters with like challenge rating, XP, all that kind of stuff, miles better than D&D 5th edition. Then it gets into, here are some tools you can use. You know, kind of the Game Master's Workshop part of the DM's guide. Um, uh, if you want to add some of these alternate rules, uh, here's here's how you can build your own monsters, build your own hazards, build your own items. Then at the end of that, it gets into maybe building your own world and building a nation and, and the description of the planes. And then all these different new alternate rules, all that kind of stuff. And then an NPC gallery. So real quick, the bestiary that came out uh, early on with the core rulebook, all the monsters in there um, are just monsters. So there's no like humans that kind of not, not necessarily humans but you know how like in D&D there's like guard archmage that stuff at the end of the monster manual that you can just apply your own race and stuff to it's just stat blocks to use for NPCs great this one has that times a hundred there's <laughs> so many little NPC stat blocks for every single thing ever beggars kings mages prophets Pirates, cult leaders, everything. <laughs> it's so many NPC stat blocks for every single kind of NPC your character's going to run into that you can just find and use. And just, this Game Mastery Guide is just perfect and beautiful and amazing. And sorry, Gabe, continue what you were saying. No, I was just agreeing. It has everything that you could want. From, like, seriously, it breaks down, like, all of the different, like, criminals. You know, it's not just, like, thief. You know? It's got grave robber, bandit, ruffian, charlatan, burglar, fence, assassin. Yeah. I don't even know the difference between all of those. <laughs> that, but they have a stat block for the individual ones. I mean, come on. Ooh. Perfect. And the art is dope, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, this 
is not proportional to D and D. Of course, also the D and D art, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, the art in, in these books is also uh, phenomenal. <laughs> Definitely the cult leader art. And I'm just gonna leave it there. You're gonna have to figure out what that means, and you're gonna go go find a game master guide for yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's our favorite. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, this is super random, but I just remembered this. Uh, Pathfinder has these things called iconic characters. So there are these characters that you'll see pop up a lot in the different art pieces. There's one character for every uh, of the core, each one of the core classes. So for the alchemist, it's like this little little goblin alchemist with like these goggles. The barbarian is like this uh, huge uh, woman who wields this massive sword. Um, the bard is this blonde halfling with sideburns. Um, these characters you'll see that each represent a different class that will pop that pop up in all these different art pieces. Um, they keep showing up. Um, they also yeah, they have their own names and lore and stuff. I'm sure uh, not super familiar with them, um, but that, I think that's really cool that they have this group of twelve different uh, little iconic characters that show up in different art pieces together, working together, fighting monsters together. Um, that each represent the different classes. Um, I just think that's really fun. Yeah, um, that you kind of have these characters that you keep uh, seeing these recurring characters in the art and that kind of thing. Um, I, I just think that's really fun. <clears throat> that was random, but sure. But there are a lot of little cool things when it comes to the system. Yes. So much little cool things. Okay. Oh, also, there's like 7,000 conditions, which is a good time. (laughs) Um, And like rules for potions and formulas and anyway. And familiars and animal animal companions. Okay. And everything. And everything. Everything. Everything you ever want. Um, So we've talked a lot about what we like, clearly. I've done a lot of chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Gabe, about any other extra things uh, we want to talk about, about what you like about Pathfinder hmm. Edition? I just want to reiterate that if you have an idea of like a character idea of, okay, I want someone who can, you know, throw nets and, like, capture people up in nets, you don't have to, like, in 5th edition, like, okay, I guess I just go, like, fight or, and, like, take a net and... Oh, but that's still really bad. I, I guess I'll just have to roll with that. You can make good builds for any sort of build that you want. You can make yeah. a competent net thrower, you know? You can make <laughs> someone who uses a whip actually useful. You can come up with these like weird character ideas and actually have mechanics to back it up and make you feel yeah. as if you aren't on par with just a normal fighter. Yeah. Obviously, different builds are going to be better than others, but sure. for the most part, yes, Gabe is right. Um, yes, you can build anything, essentially. Uh, and that's just, like, just creating characters, even if you don't play them. Um, really fun. I mean, just creating characters in D&D is fun. Mm-hmm. But creating characters in this is just such a joy. Um, I like such a joy. So much so that no one in our party, no, no one in our playgroup wants to GM because we all just want to be characters because they're so awesome. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. Now let's get on to things that we're, we don't like, we don't super like. I don't. I wouldn't say there's like really anything I hate. Um, what are some things, Gabe, that you don't like? Hmm. I... I would say the book isn't laid out exactly perfectly. It can be a little bit confusing yes, figuring out how you exactly you make characters like like this. But okay, that step is also more detailed over here. 
and delete yeah. it over here. Okay, now go to here to figure out what this is. There's going to be a lot of book searching when you're initially getting used to the system. A lot of it. And everything isn't exactly in the place you expect it to be, necessarily. Yeah. Um, I've never used the appendix of any D&D book ever in my life. I've used the appendix for all the Pathfinder books that I've looked at all the time. Um, so appendices are your friends, um, and you're going to have to use it <laughs> when you're still getting used to the system. I mean, like any system, it's going to take some while to get used to. That's just how it goes. Um, and there's also some cool online resources that have been really helpful um, because it's nice when you can just look something up and then just have it right there, look up a feat or a rule or whatever, or one of the 27,000 conditions and just get it right there. Um, there's one called the Archives, Archives of, Nethys. of Nethys, and then another one. Yeah. PF2.easy. <laughs> What'd you say? It's like Pathfinder Easy or something like that. Yeah. Is that what I'm called? Um, something like so, that. Yeah, there's a lot of couple... nice online tools that you can use. Yes. Um, and the uh, character sheet, the Pathfinder character sheet on Roll20 is really nice as well. Yes. Very, very and nice. And if you're interested... Helpful. Hop in our Discord and I'll put links to these sites that you can use. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what channel should they do that in? Because we have a D and D channel, but um, the suggestion channel, general, general, maybe? I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, pop in there. And if enough of you guys like Neo Pathfinder stuff, maybe we'll make a whole uh, Pathfinder channel where we can discuss all that homebrew and, and the advanced player guide and all that kind of stuff. Um, if there's a big enough audience of you guys that like Pathfinder or want to get into it. Uh, and of course, we have the uh, looking for group thing. So if, you, if you're if you interested in playing Pathfinder, but you don't have anyone who wants to play with you, pop on our Discord um, and see if you can find some, some people to get into a game with. Um, yes, I would say yes, the core rulebook and stuff not laid out uh, really amazingly. I feel like all these dang books suffer with that, <laughs> no matter what system it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, once again, from what I've experienced, the thing about spellcasters, I don't like that. Can't super judge yet. Uh, eh, but yeah, that's a little irritating to me. Um, that don't makes makes me not want to play a spellcaster. Um, I would say another thing that's irritating, but that they fixed, was that uh, because they released these pretty important books at different times. You can really only start getting into it now, because we I we I like we wanted to DM stuff a while ago, but the game mastery guide wasn't out, the advanced player guide wasn't out and stuff, and it really stunted us being able to play like as a GM, getting into a very new complex system like this, without having the game master guide, without having any stats for NPCs, really hard. Definitely because we were playing a campaign in an urban environment. <laughs> Um, so that's, that was very irritating. Um, but I, basically all the core stuff is out now. They have a world guide, core rule book, uh, uh, advanced players guide, game mastery guide. Um, and they also have a couple adventures, which I have not really looked at. Um, I've looked at them so a bit. I can't tell you. Seem fine. Yeah. yeah bet they're fine. Things called like adventure paths would, and such. Like with like any new system, I would suggest, uh, if, if you want to, I would suggest uh, running a pre-made adventure in that system so you can get the hang of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I like most things. Once again, we have not really played it a lot. Um, I, I, I don't... Okay. 
another thing I don't like, which may grow on me though, my opinion on this may change, is the rules for every single thing you want to do. You know, jumping, climbing, flipping, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's irritating because it puts, like, as a GM and like as a as, like as a play group, like you know there's a rule for this, and then you have to go look it up. Um, whereas in D and D, it's just like if you want to do any of the things, just make an athletics check and just do it. It's just very simple and quick. Once again, that's how the system is. Um, maybe this will change, but I don't really like that um, because yes, you can just go just make an athletics check. Um, but because, like, there are rules for it and stuff, like, you kind of want to look it up, make sure you do it right, and if someone, you know, chose, chose, a, chose a skill feat that has to do with that, then you want to be able to honor that decision and that investment that they made and, and do that thing and look up it up in the book and get it right. And in, the, in the GM's guide, it says when it comes across something where you need to look it up, if it's a major thing, then spend the time looking it up. If it's just a minor thing, just roll whatever you want to as yeah. a GM and you look it up for the next time it comes up. Yeah, exactly. So but don't it's like, waste the time at least for me, things. that's how it is. Like, if I'm also playing in a in a world that I didn't create, like the Star Wars universe or Middle Earth or whatever, I also feel an imperative to look stuff up to get my facts right, like in canon or whatever. Um, when we run into something in the story or a player has a question about the world, um, instead of just making things up and just moving the game along. Maybe that's just me. I assume that's other people as well. Um, but that's kind of irritating um that there's just sometimes there because it is there's this such thing as like way too much detail um and once again not super familiar with this system yet so it's going to get easier on me for sure once i start playing more um but it, there is there is a lot of detail and it's very overwhelming um and i think if the book was laid out a little bit differently and the game mastery guide had come out alongside the player's hand uh the rule core rule book then i think it would have been uh much easier um okay Anything else to say before we get into talking about whether or not this is the game for you? Mm. No, not really. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Dave, who do you think this is for? If you're someone who has played D&D, you really like it, enjoy the rule system but you just want a little bit more out of it you know you want more out of just your martial class where you cast sword every turn you know so to speak if you are someone who wants a spellcaster with lots of different options and spells they can do all sorts of different things and all sorts of little bonuses all sorts of little effects and debuffs if you're someone who finds D&D combat really boring at, at higher levels. If you're someone who wants to be really good at one specific thing, but you just can't seem to find a way to do it in D&D. If you're, if you're someone who wants a specific build that you can't make viable in D&D. If you're someone who just wants a little bit more detail, a little bit more... I would not say a little bit. What? <laughs> I would not say a little bit, <laughs> but uh, if you do want more detail, yeah. More more options at every single point in leveling up for every single character. You can customize everything. If that sounds good to you, take a look at the system. Yep. Uh, I, would, I would totally agree. If you're someone who's played a lot of role-playing games, uh, you're getting tired of D&D, &D, you know it very well. 
um, or just you know you just you're uh, someone who loves the detail, loves complexity. You're gonna love this. Uh, you're gonna like it a lot, I think. Um, and if you're someone who likes role playing games but is not that good with the rules or uh, of of D and D, and you're still getting used to like fifth edition and stuff, but you like the concept and you like role playing and all that kind of stuff. I would say stick with 5th uh, edition for now, or whatever mm-hmm. system you're, you're playing with, until you get really comfortable with that. Um, and even once you get comfortable with it, like, 5th edition's awesome, keep playing it, we're still playing it, and we've been playing it for years. It's just, uh, if it ever does start to get boring or repetitive or whatever, or you want that next level, I'd say hop into Pathfinder, but definitely not for everyone. I would say D&D's for everyone, I would say Pathfinder's not for everyone. Um, I wouldn't say D&D is for everyone, because there are people who really don't want to play D&D 5th edition because of how simple it is. Yeah, okay, yeah, I guess that is true. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, Pathfinder not for everyone, but really, really cool and interesting. I'm excited to uh, learn more about it and play it some more uh, in, in this future here. Uh, our gaming group wants to do some more Pathfinder stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to... to you know, learn more, and hopefully we can do uh, talk about it, this game sometime uh, down the road once we've had a lot of experience with it, and see if our opinions have changed or what other you know. Um, but if you guys are interested in Pathfinder, I know it's kind of growing in popularity and stuff. Um, let us know on the Discord if you want to hear more stuff about Pathfinder, if you want us to like review Pathfinder stuff. If there's a big enough audience for it, we'll definitely uh, uh, get more into it and, and talk more about it here on the podcast. Um, of course. Sure. Just like, or if you wanna want us to talk about another game. Uh, if you want us to talk about that Star Wars game we've always been talking about, or another game you've heard of, Vampire Masquerade, or Carl Cthulhu, or whatever it is, let us know in the Discord, comment on our Instagram, comment on our YouTube. Um, if you want uh, to hear about uh, us talk about, review, whatever, um, another system that's not D&D. <laughs> Alright. And that's Pathfinder 2nd Edition, in a nutshell. Yep. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening. Um, once again, follow us on Instagram at d20 underscore academy. Join our Discord. It's a good time. You can do that by commenting on Instagram or DMing us or whatever. We have a YouTube channel, d20 academy. Uh, you can go find that if you want. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Next week's episode. Gabe. It's Gabe, a class Gabe, we build on I'm the so bar. I'm excited. I'm excited as well. We've done ah. a bit of work. We've got some great ideas down on paper. It's coming out next week. Keep an eye out for it. Join our Discord so you can see the, the, the class document and follow along with us. It's going to be great. I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Without further ado. All right. See you next week. Play Mystic in the meantime. <laughs>